Turn with me to your Bibles from Matthew chapter 1. This is a great season, and it's good to have you out as we go look in God's Word. How many of you know that sometimes naming your children can be very complicated? I mean, isn't that true? That's true. I mean, it, you know, it can be. It has been for us. And, you know, what do you name your baby when they are born? It can be very difficult. We've done it three times. There's some crazy names out there, aren't there? But it's important because... Your name has a specific meaning. How many of you know what the meaning of your first name is? Come on, can I see your hand? Wow, see, not many of you. You need to look up the meaning of your name because you're going to be delighted in knowing what your name means, and you're living that out right now. So some of you are going to do that, aren't you? But not right now. Wait for this afternoon, okay, or this evening. But it is amazing. Before Kristen and I even knew each other, at Bible college, we knew individually what we were going to name our first boy. And we knew it was going to be Josiah. And, you know, when he came along, no ands, if buts about it, Josiah was his name. We both knew it. What's amazing, before Mary and Joseph knew they were going to have a baby, God had a name for his son. He had a name for his son already picked out that was on the way. And now real quick before we jump into this text of the Christmas story, I just want to share with you a couple of things that you may have heard before, but it's so important to know, is the word Messiah. The word Messiah is actually Hebrew and a Greek equivalent in the same word. And so it's amazing. Do you know what the name Messiah, what it means? What does the name Messiah mean? Christ. It would be anointed one as well, but it, the main one is Christ. It is Christ. So many people think that it's Jesus' last name, you know? And so you never see in the Bible like it was for Mary and Joseph Christ and their son. That's not what it was about. But the Christ was actually the Greek term for the Hebrew term that meant Messiah. The one that the Jews had been waiting for for a long time. And this is very important for the Christmas story. Jesus, the term Jesus, we see that is from the Hebrew name Yeshua. Can you say that with me? Yeshua. God bless you. Anyways, if some of you say that, somebody says, God bless you. And they're like, you know, no, 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 I didn't sneeze. That's his name. It's, it's Yeshua because the Hebrews don't have the letter J in that pronunciation. So it is Yeshua. And so as you look at it, you get, we get the name Joshua from it. Yeshua. And Joshua. So to kind of mess up like all of your Christmas music and reading the New Testament, we have been mispronouncing Jesus' name the whole time. I just want you to know that. So I guess we're going to have to change how we sing, and you're going to have to start singing Yeshua, Pastor Ryan, and all. No, I'm just kidding. But listen, in fact, perhaps the reason God doesn't answer your prayer is you're mispronouncing the name of his son. I mean, you ever thought about that? I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, really? I didn't know. That's why. No, that's not. What the ancient Jewish people were looking for was a Joshua. They were looking for a Joshua. They were looking for a warrior king that could come in and deliver the people from their oppressors. So they were looking for Joshua. And you see the storyline, Matthew 1.18. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go and you rewind, even before the first century, and you look at this, Mary should have been burned alive or stoned to death for what took place outside of marriage. They got married so young. You see this in the New Testament. They're pledged to be married many times as early as 10 or 11. 
you were married by the time you were 12, 13, 14, certainly 15. And if you were 16 and not pledged to be married, there were issues. That really is true. If you rewind it back. And, you know, Mary's like, oh, no, mom, you know, an angel, you know, there's no man. Angel appeared. That's great. What are we going to do, honey? So Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant. And the angel told her that God had made her pregnant. And I love this because Joseph, her fiance, her husband, was faithful to the law. In other words, the law says you can't marry her. The law says you have to shame her. The law says you've got to do something, burn her at the stake or stone her for what took place. He's caught between the law and grace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, which he could have done. Here's what happened. Joseph, son of David, now... He wasn't a literal son of David, but he was related to David because we see King David is reminding him he is in the lineage of David, which is an important part of the story. Do not be afraid because he was afraid, and we know this, to take Mary home as your wife. We understand he was upset. Nobody's expecting this. The whole idea of the virgin birth, nobody is going to expect this. There's a verse that Matthew quotes later on from the prophet Isaiah where he talks about a virgin. We'll have a baby, and you're to name him Emmanuel because that means what? God with us, right? And that's great, but the Hebrew word in Isaiah for virgin, they don't even use that primary word. They use lady, maiden, unmarried person, young girl. In Jewish culture, this is so important. No one was expecting a virgin birth. No one. No one. But here's what you need to know. If you're kind of skeptical and you drive by those manger scenes and you're going, those crazy Christians, you know, these manger scenes, they are crazy. Here's the thing. For Matthew to have manufactured this story just goes beyond and doesn't even help the storyline at all. Even if he tried to manufacture it, it doesn't help the storyline because it's so strange. The thing that people rallied behind it was when it came to Jesus was the resurrection. And there was not a group of people after his death going, well, he died, but remember, he was born of a virgin, so I think we can keep the dream alive based on the virgin birth. Nobody is saying that because when he died, they expected him to stay dead. So all of this points to the fact that Matthew wouldn't have made this up. It actually would hurt the storyline more than anything rather than help it. And yet Matthew tells us that an angel appeared to Mary and, and an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, this son that is about to be born to you is so incredibly special. He's been conceived by the Holy Spirit of God and she will give birth to a son. And then this gets rich. She will give birth to a son. This is talking about Mary. And you are to give him the name. Drum roll. The music changes. The soundtrack gets big. You are to give him the name, what? Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. And he will save his people. He will save his people. And of course, Joseph's going, I, I, yeah, we know he's going to save his people. Oh, man, yeah, we've talked about this for a long time. You know, Joshua took the people into Canaan, and Joshua drove out the invaders and all the oppressors so that our people could own their own land and basically determine their own destiny. Of course, I know, and we know what he's going to do. 
We all know the story of Jericho and the walls, and we know Joshua, and we know our Old Testament, and we know exactly what he's going to do. He's going to save his people. And the angel continues from there, and Joseph's going, I know he's going to save his people. He's going to save his people from oppressors, invaders, Roman occupation, all of these things. And we know how this story plays out because it's no, it's, it's no mystery. We've been told since we're children that he is yet to come. And, and we, we haven't been given any hope. The whole thing to Abraham, that was like 2,000 years ago. And then everything that's happened in the nation and everything that's happened in our country, we thought that God had forgotten about us. And now at this strange time in history, he's going to send the Messiah, Yeshua, Joshua. The warrior king? Really? And he will save his people from their sins. And, okay, you know, that, that's, not a, that's not really a felt need. That's not really a felt need. We need delivering. We need saving it. But if you would like to get all the Jews together and say, hey, what would you like to be saved from? Nobody's going to say we need to be saved from our sins. This is, this is not what we need to be saved from. Clearly, you are not familiar with Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you've heard that. Angel, let me explain this to you. And we have it on the screen behind you because this is all about human motivation, human what's going on inside of us. And so, see, Angel, listen, pay attention. Okay, here's how it works. See, our basic needs are physiological. We need to eat, and, and we need to have water, and we need to have things that are necessary for our survival. And then after that, we need safety. We need something to keep us from harm. And then, you know, also, we, we need this safety because we need a sense of love, and we need community and belonging. But we don't need this till we have these two and then get this. We, we kind of have a sense of personal self-esteem and ultimate self-actualization. Now, Angel, look, do, do you see sin anywhere on this list? We need to be saved from some things, but sin doesn't even make the list. Besides, save us from our sins. We have a very sophisticated save you from your sin system already in place, and it's called the temple. That's what it's about. It's, it's up on the mountain. You can't miss it. And we go to the temple, and we go there, and we can be saved from our sins all day long. We already have this set in place. It's been set in place even before the New Testament began. In fact, our scriptures list every sin imaginable and what we do about every sin and why we do it. And we don't need another system to help save us from our sins. But angel, I will tell you who needs saving. Rome needs to be saved. They need to be saved because they perpetrated more sins than we could even imagine and count. And we need saving from Rome. We need this in our lives. We, what we need, we, we don't need a savior. We, we, what we want is somebody to come as a warrior king with a sword. We want him to come to help us, and that's going to be the best thing that can happen. And, but Joseph, we understand, didn't respond that way, but many did, and I'll tell you why. And this is rich insight. When the angel of the Lord talks out loud to you, you do not talk back. True. In fact, when I hear people say, God appeared to me, I'm like, mm, I don't think so. No, your face did not melt off. How many of you are with me? No, no, nobody has seen God because nobody and not one of us could stand in his presence. We would be a blob of goo. 
because he is so holy and he is so righteous. That wasn't God, okay? But when God decides to communicate, he does not stutter. He does not speak in terms that we don't understand. When God showed up and spoke, and spoke it was clear. When the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream, even though it was a dream, when Joseph woke up, there was no doubt in his mind what he's about to do and what he needed to do. In fact, when God speaks directly to mankind, it has potential to override our free will. I said it has the potential. In fact, this is one of the reasons that God remains a bit of a mystery. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home to be his wife. Now, here's what we're going to talk about just for these next few moments before we wind it down. Do you know why so many of us are not moved when we hear that God sent Jesus to save us from our sin? Do you know why we're a little bit like the people in the first century when it's like, oh, God's going to save you from sin, and eh, well, that's great, but I don't really know if that's really a felt need on the chart and on the list. I'm not really sure how this is all really going to connect into me, into us as a nation. He's here specifically what the angel said. You're going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. But that's not what we hear many times. This is what we hear we hear you are to give him the name Jesus because he will forgive his people of their sins. And if we are not careful, we will reduce Christmas to just forgiveness. And forgiveness is absolutely vital, but it is not the only message of this season and throughout our life. Because as we look at it, we think, well, nobody's perfect, but God forgives. Nobody's perfect but God forgives. I'm not even perfect, I sin, but God forgives me. I mess up, he forgives me. I mess up, he forgives me. And for many people, that's their entire religious experience. I mess up, but he forgives me. I mess up, but he forgives me. And that is all that they've equated to in their spiritual life before the Lord. But the message of Christmas and the message to Joseph in the dream and the message of the gospel is a whole lot bigger and greater than that. How many of you know that to be true? And if you've reduced Christmas to merely forgiveness, you've missed the primary message of Christmas. Because Jesus came to deliver us not simply from the penalty of sin or the consequences of sin. In fact, in most cases, we are not delivered from the consequences of sin. But Jesus came to deliver us from the power of sin. If you believe that, say amen. amen. He came to deliver us from the power of sin. And Jesus came in the spirit of Yeshua, Joshua, the warrior that came to free you and me from the kingdom of, from the dominion of, from the power of slavery to the nation of sin. That's what we have been promised. In Jesus, there is deliverance, there's salvation, the power of from sin in our lives. And Jesus alluded to this many times throughout his ministry. If you remember this amazing story, Jesus is in the temple, and the, the religious leaders around him take in this woman. She was caught in adultery, and they want to trap Jesus. So they drag this woman, who knows how far, they drag this woman through the streets of Jerusalem and up these giant stone stairs to the last place that this woman ever wants to be. They drag her to the temple. I mean, here she is. She's caught in an act of adultery. Now she's on the temple mount. She's 30 yards, seemingly 30 yards from where they were sacrificing animals for people's sins. 
She's 75 yards away from the Holy of Holies, where supposedly the law resides. This is the last place she wants to be. And they throw her on the ground and they say, this woman was caught in adultery. And the law says, we are to stone her. What do you say? Remember the story in scripture? Remember it? It's dramatic. And Jesus knew, Jesus called their bluff because he was brilliant. He knew they weren't going to stone her. And they knew, he knew this. They're not going to stone her right, right here and right now because you can't stone people at the temple. That was illegal to do. Now, you want to, that's fine. You want to stone her, you take her down to the Valley of Guiana, but you cannot do it here. And he knew what they were thinking before they even thought it, but go ahead. But one caveat, those of you who have not committed sin, you start the execution first. And everything got quiet. Because Jesus was that amazing. Eventually, you know the story. They all kind of go away. And he kneels next to this woman and he says two things. One that's famous and one that's not so famous. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, I have none. They left. And then he says to her with a smile on his face, this is powerful. This is God in a body. Imagine this moment. He says to her, neither do I condemn you. Neither. In other words, I who have the power right here on the temple, uh, I, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm not going to do that. We don't even know you need to go some 30 yards away to sacrifice an animal for what you've done. You are looking at the Lamb of God right now. I don't condemn you. Basically, Jesus said, you're forgiven. And only, who can forgive? Only one person can forgive how can you forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin. What? Are you serious, Jesus? Jesus is like, yeah, hello. Big clue. He looks at this woman. He says, this is powerful. Neither do I condemn you. And then he said, this is the part we skip over, not so famous. Neither do I condemn you. Leave your life of sin. Sometimes we stop at no condemnation, which is a wonderful message as well. But we miss the second part, which was Leave your life of sin. That's a two-part, two-part, powerfully packed statement to which we would ask, is that even possible? Is that possible? Can we leave our lives of sin? Can we sin no more? Can we leave the nation of sin? Can we leave the captivity of sin? In John 10.10, 10, which most of you can probably quote this, because even if you haven't read your Bible very much, you've heard it so many times. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he makes this incredible state, statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's saying the thief comes to do these things, to steal to kill and to destroy. And yes, he's ultimately talking about Satan, the devourer in our lives, but he's making it known to them that, listen, if somebody comes to rob you and to rob your home at night or during the day or whatever it may be, they're coming to do these things. They're coming to steal from you. They're coming to kill. They're coming to destroy you. They're making it so plain to those that are listening. And then he contrasts what the thieves do that everyone knew about, and he said this, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Listen, I'm not really sure what you believe about God, but listen, if you've been stolen from, and there's been killings in your life, and your life feels destroyed, I'm going to tell you today, that is not God. That is the thief that has come. 
And Jesus contrasts that whole storyline with who he is. I'm the one that will give to you, not steal from you. I will not kill you. I will give you life. I will not destroy you. I will build your life up again. He says, I have come. And you see, it, it'll, it'll make more sense to you in the future. I've come for this completely different purpose. I've come to do more than just forgive you from your sin. I've come to free you from sin. They were correct to name him Yeshua. They were correct to name me Joshua. I've come to deliver you from something, not simply forgive you for something. Later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul comes on the scene in Romans chapter 6, and he says this, Therefore, he gives a command which means he thinks it's possible, so don't miss it. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. What is he saying? Do not allow sin to continue to be your king, your master, so that you will obey its evil desires. Do not allow yourself to stay under the authority of sin. Wow. So, Paul, we have a choice? Yes, we do. We have a choice, you and I do. It's why Jesus came, to deliver his people, to, to deliver us as a nation. And so it's amazing. He goes on and says, and do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather, which means there's an option again. There, there's another way, which means if your entire experience has been Sin, get forgiveness, sin, get forgiveness, sin, get forgiveness your whole entire life. I just want to say, perhaps you've missed part of the reason why Jesus came to this earth. He says, but rather offer yourselves not to sin, but to God, those who have been brought from death unto life. I've come to give you life, and I've come to give you to its fullest. Brought from death all the way to life. What's he talking about? When Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, this isn't just about being forgiven of sin. This is about being set free from your sin. Amen? It's why Paul says, I love this, for sin, for sin no longer shall be your master. No longer. And here's why this is so, so helpful, because the apostle Paul kind of, he personifies and makes sin like a character. He's saying it means that that when you experience every single day that many times there's two of you inside of you, that there's two of me inside of me. Oh, it shouldn't be that way, but it is. Because there's a human nature at work within all of us. And then in Christ, there's a divine supernatural natural nature that he says that we have when we become a new believer and that when 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 that old nature says well I want you to do this but then you're saying in Christ I shouldn't do but I want you but I shouldn't do but I want you and that's why we feel like it's a tug of war so many times and Paul says just look don't make this so difficult don't make this so complicated that is called sin he says that sin in you is no longer your master if you are in Jesus Christ and at the end of this incredible teaching, it's so rich, he summarizes with a statement that many of us have memorized uh, from, uh, from childhood. Remember this, he says, for the wages or the payment, excuse me, or the outcome or the consequences or the result, for the wages of sin is death. And, and now here's what he wants us to know. 
You don't have to be a Christian to know this. You don't even have to be a believer. Here it is, plain and simple. Sin kills things. Sin kills things. Sin always kills something. Some of you have had a marriage killed by sin. Some of you had your finances killed by a lack of self-control. Sin. Some of you have seen the relationship between you and one of your sons, daughters, killed by your sin or their sin. Some of you have seen an addiction kill a relationship, kill the way you view yourself. You look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. And the reason you don't like what you see is because of sin, because sin has killed the way you are to view yourself in Jesus Christ. Wherever there is sin, something always dies. But here's the part we don't want to miss. Even forgiven sin kills things. Sin that has been forgiven continues to kill things. Our, our prisons are full of men and women who are afraid to be forgiven for their sin and that God forgave them and they will spend the rest of their life and they'll spend the good part of their life in prison because even forgiven sin kills things. That's a true statement. And we know it well because we are human. We have to understand as we come to this time of year that we can get lost in the minutia and the junk of what is out there and being sold a bill of goods, what's on the TV and the radio. But we know, and Jesus came into this world not simply to forgive our sins, but to be Joshua for us, to be the warrior king that has stepped on the scene 2,000 years ago to deliver us from dominion from the nation, the power, the captivity to sin because the wages of sin is always, always, always that something dies. But the gift of Christmas, the gift of God is eternal life. And there's that word again, life. And see, as a, as a kid, you grew up to think, well, that just means I get to go to heaven when, when, when I die. No, 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 that's not all of what he is talking about here because the gift that you receive when you place your faith in Christ is a gift that you and I receive and can receive at any moment upon this earth. The gift of eternal life is yet to come. That's the outcome of it as you and I live for the Lord. But it is now that you and I can receive and place our faith in. We receive the gift of life, eternal life that can free us from the power and the bondage to sin. A life that frees us from sin's control. That was the gift of Christmas. Not just forgiveness, but freedom from the power of sin in our lives, this is the gospel, this is Christianity, this is Christmas, that through Christmas, you and I can have a new master, Jesus Christ. Just think about that if you've unloaded your wallet this season. It's not about that. It's about Jesus can be our new master and our king of kings and our Lord of lords this time of year. I don't know, are you here with me today, church? I mean, I don't know if you're in the same room or wherever you may be today, but I'm telling you something, that is worth living a life for. That is worth living a life for, that you and I are given a new master and you and I do not have to be bound in sin any longer. We have a new master. Now listen, good news, it's not the law of God that we are under, it's the spirit of God that you and I have in us. And if you're a Christian, 
And your religious experience has been what I talked about a minute ago. It's simply trying, failing, getting forgiveness, trying, failing, getting forgiveness, trying, failing, getting forgiveness. You're a bit like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. You're around, you know, you're wandering around with those ruby red slippers on. I just want to let you know about something today. You can go home anytime. And you can be free from sin anytime you want. You can say no to sin anytime that you want. And maybe like Dorothy, you just need somebody to tell you. So if you're a Christian, I want you just to hone in on this for a moment. And if you're at home today listening in on this or across the world, would you just listen to this today? I want you to hone in before we bring this down. I'm going to tell you, is the absolute God honest truth. Sin is not your master. And lust is not your master. Lack of self-control in some area of your life is not your master. Alcohol is not your master. Prescription drugs are not your master today. Anger, violence, unforgiveness, bitterness is not your master today. But you and I can have a new master in the Lord Jesus Christ, which will bring us freedom, freedom like we've never had before. So let me tell you something. Your habit is not your master. When you become a Christian, you place your trust in Christ that Jesus has come into this world more than just to forgive you of your sin. He came to set you free from the power of sin and you can go and sin no more from this day forward. It is possible because the Bible tells us it's possible. So listen, let me say this. If you're not a Christian and sin doesn't, I just want you to know, sin doesn't have to be your master. I'm just saying, if you ever get fed up with you, and you ever get fed up with something that seems to control you, if you ever get fed up with self-destruction that you bring on yourself and self-destructive habits that destroy the relationships that are most important to you, if you ever get fed up with that, I have some great news for you this Christmas. Christmas is a standing invitation from the Father in heaven Christmas is a standing invitation that you have been invited into a relationship where sin no longer has to have mastery over your life, period. And we have brought the message of this Christmas many times to stuff. And we all know this, parents, as soon as the kids open the present, one hour later, they're bored. Let's be honest, right? I hope you do get good gifts. But I want you to know, as we keep the priority of what this is about, there is an eternal longing in our hearts for something a whole lot more than what money can buy. It is greater. That Jesus can be your master. And sin no longer has to have mastery over you. He says, anyone who needs to be saved from their sins, who needs Christmas? Oh, well, 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 yeah, who needs Christmas? Who needs it? Well, the world did. And who needs Christmas? Well, God did because he needed a way to demonstrate his love for us. And who needs Christmas? Anyone who needs to be saved from their sin. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. In Jesus' name. Amen? That's good news today. That's the greatest news you're going to hear.